Welcome everyone to another week with your hosts Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. What a schus and what an honor it is to be here again. We have five little requests from this, and we've raised it to five for those of you that are listening in. And the first one is to realize that your questions should be family appropriate. That means that if children above the age of eight will listen to it, you feel it's okay for your child to listen to that. The second request that we have, and this we've added on, is that if you're under 18, please get your parents' permission to listen. And again, also, if you want to ask your question, if you're under 18, please get your parents' permission to ask the question. The third request is that to recognize this is an awareness-based program, so we don't directly answer or tell anyone what to do. And if you feel you need direct information, please contact a therapist, a licensed therapist, and or a Rav that will help you out. The fourth request is to recognize that since we are an awareness-based, if you have a question, a parenting question under the age of eight, we are not able to address it. And the last one is that once you ask your question, so be aware that it will not be removed. Once you ask your question, it's on. Thank you. And the number to call up, we'd love to get your callers and your questions, is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And what we are going to do is we are going to be taking a text question that someone has called and really spoken to Ravnis and begged him to take their questions. So we always like taking voice verbal questions first. So for those of you that would like to call up and ask, again, the number is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And the question is as follows. The question that someone has asked and said he cannot call up, but he's a bacher and begging us, he's 18 years old, is he is 18 years old and there's another friend in his class that's 18 years old. But this friend is, is almost a bullying type, a controlling type, that tells him what to do, where to go, who to be his friends, when to eat. And if he wants to learn with him, he has to learn with him. And he doesn't have the strength to say no. And he's feeling powerless. What should he do? Rav Nissa, was this the question that we got? Correct, yeah. Excellent. And the recommendation that I would have is as follows to this person. Number one, to understand that there are different natures out there. There are natures of people that are stronger. As sometimes as we discuss it on the phone line, we can, I'm sorry, in the book that we wrote, Mastering Relationships, that's more the earth nature. It's grounded. They're able to say what they want. Then there are other natures that are more gentler, like the water nature or the wind nature. And what happens is many times because we are weaker, or let's say our nature is not to be so in-your-face, so dominant, now the person that is a stronger nature might be taking advantage of you, but they don't realize that it's so hard on you because they look things through their lens, through the way they perceive life. And therefore, if they wouldn't like something, they would just say straight up, I don't like it. It's not good for me. I don't want to do it. Stop pushing me. So... The first step for you to recognize is that if someone tells you to do things that you don't like or things that you don't want to do, to be aware that instead of blaming, first of all, or saying that the other person is bad or wrong, I always like focusing on us. What can we do to be stronger? And that means us to say no, us to say I'm not interested, us to say this doesn't work for me. And if the person is still pushy, then you start getting some help from a Magachir, from a Rebbe, from your parents, from a teacher, whoever it should be. But you can start learning how to be assertive and how to say no, because that is very, very important. That means in life, there will be those people that many times can try to control, and sometimes they won't be that healthy. Sometimes it will be people that might come from an unhealthy background. And therefore, what is happening is, they might have been raised in a certain way, and now they think that is the normal way of behavior. But what we need to do is we need to learn how to manage in a world where there are sometimes bullies. We need to figure out how to survive in a world 
where there are stronger natures and where we do need to tell them, this isn't good what you're doing. You need to change or this doesn't work for me. And for us to recognize that this is very normal. And this is something that we want to be able to teach our children, especially our teenagers, on how to master. Robinson, do you agree with that? Uh, yes, hundred percent. I just want to add that uh, basically, uh, you know, we we find ourselves sometimes with the people pushing you up with the back to the wall, and you cannot move. And this is like situation that what I got the feeling from this uh, Baho yeah. is like uh, he, he don't know where to go. I want to say that according all the the Rabbanim, it's you know people thinking about lashon hara, lashon hara, you know all this kind that that uh, if if you go to the tell it to the magid or to the rabbi, it's lashon hara or talking about it. Not it's your life. It's something that you have to be understanding, talk about it, and uh, you then let other people to basically to control. You don't want to be as chavusa. You 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 find somebody else. You don't want to go to the places that he want to go. This is a your choice, unless you really want it. But something that you cannot let somebody else to run your life and do this and do this, basically like a puppet. That's right. And I, so I, again, you're allowed to open up and speak to people. This is the healthy process. Speaking to a parent, speaking to a Rebbe Amagetshir is the way to do it, is the way to get advice. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. And it's very, very important for us to recognize and for those listening that there are sometimes stronger natures, or not sometimes, there will always be a stronger nature than us. And it's our job to find the balance, how to be comfortable, how to feel safe when we interact with them. And again, just want to remind everyone the number to call up to ask your question is 718-683-5858, 718-683. Five eight five eight, and we are looking forward to taking questions and comments. Here we have another text message that someone sent. That is, and we discuss this many times. We get a question often, but it's still good to share it for those that are starting the therapy process. What is the difference between an LCSW and an LMSW? So first, let us tell you the the words. What these letters stand for. So LCSW stands for a licensed clinical social worker, and LMSW stands for licensed master social worker. So what happens is when a person graduates the master's program, a master's program that's accredited by the state and is, there's a pretty much a national level, means that the government sort of sets up that this is what it takes to be a therapist in each in the United States, a social worker at least. Now what happens is each state could define it the way they would like. So therefore, when someone graduates a two-year's master's social work program, that means that they have a bachelor's, an undergrad. They've gone to three years of college. Then they've gone for a two-year's of specialty in social work. That means that you have each year you're going to have supervision from the college and supervision from the internship where you did where you work, then you're going to have a second year. Again, the same thing. Uh, Besides for learning classwork and the basics that they expect everyone to know, that you're also going to be supervised both in the internship and from college. So you know that someone that is licensed, that has graduated, has that. The next step is there's a licensing exam that most states have, not every state in the United States, but most states have a licensing exam. So to be licensed in New York and New Jersey, you have to take an exam. And the exam makes sure that you know the laws. Exam makes sure that you know the basics of, of the diagnosis and what to do and how to do certain stuff. So that is that. So then you take that first exam, and now you went from a master social worker to a licensed master social worker, to LMSW. Now, you can work in an agency, work in places, and you get paid generally less. Certain agencies are not able to hire you for your LMSW because they're not able to get reimbursed from insurance. And after three years of working in an agency and being supervised over an hour to two hours each and every week for three years, then the next step is now you can take another exam. That means 
that are they, do they know their work? After three years' experience, is going to be a much harder test. And once you take that exam and you pass that, now you have the title clinical social worker. So now you're an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker. So clinical social worker is that much more. Excellent. And now let us go ahead and see what are going to take some questions. Again, the number to call up is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we are going to our first caller, Mrs. T. Hello. 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 Yes, hello, Mrs. C. Hi. Um, okay, my question is as follows. If I know somebody who very likely has some sort of disorder, and so around me she probably perceives that I once did something to her, though I don't know because I don't know what's going on in her head, but um, the way she – so she retaliates often. My question is, if I were to be assertive and try to stop it, then she would most likely become passive-aggressive and do something else. I want to know if there's a general way to approach such a person um, by, I don't have to be a victim to her, but I'm afraid of getting into deeper. Well, let's, let's understand something. What I hear you saying is there's a healthy word called boundaries. Means how much you connect to someone when you connect to someone. So, for example, I can have a therapeutic relationship with a client, and the therapeutic relationship has its bounds, has its limits. That means out of the therapy office, I'm not allowed to say hello to them. If I see them in the streets, I'm not allowed to go over. There are certain boundaries because they will be embarrassed. So the government protects them. They're private. So this person will go to the, like the borderline of where the boundaries cross, and she'll always remain right below even though it's pretty much at the border. So she's right. keeping herself in check, but, now, she, but it's still not right. have an open conversation? means I'd like you to understand that it's important to learn to work things out with people. However, if they're not healthy, by you discussing it and keeping your boundaries, saying, you know what you said might be okay but might not be okay, and therefore how can you even say it gentler or easier or healthier? So you can just say it, what you said might be okay to others, but for me it's not. What would happen if you would allow yourself to become easier? I, I didn't understand. If I were to say that, then so I don't know general, being so that she... Yeah, let's go ahead. So can you give me now more of a detailed example? Mm, I'm, 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 be, I'm being cautious. I'm afraid to. Cause... Great, so let's make up the example. Let's say... You show up, let's say A is your friend and you're B, or you're A and your friend is B, and this person comes knocking at your house and comes three times a day. So it's normal to come to someone's house, it's normal to knock, but if you don't answer, somebody could say, why didn't you pick up with it? Why didn't you answer the door? What's no, wrong? that's not so. Let's say she wants to get back at me for some perceived uh, thing, she'll, she'll go to one of my kids and make a comment or you know, something right, that, that I, where she knows I have so no that control. Could be an open conversation again, saying, you know, you had a conversation with my child, but sort of the conversation was like a certain negative comment. Can I ask you that when you speak to my kids, just have positive messages? Like, you know, something like that. You, so even if it might be perceived certain ways, you can say, but my child feels certain ways or, or certain things. And we have a certain way of speaking. So when adults speak to my children, I really ask them to only have positive things to say especially if it's about me or my husband or about any other siblings, just positive. But how do I know if this person won't take it as, a, as another affront to her and then she'll want to retaliate in a different way? Okay, so let, let's now take a step back. One of the steps that we need to learn in life, and that's something that I focus on, and I'm even practicing now in certain situations, are we have a right to set limits. And if you're busy worrying what the other person, how they're going to retaliate, and then further how they're going to retaliate, further, it's ain't let safe. Right. So for an example, there's a concept in the Gemara that a Kayin Gadol, that they would prepare him another wife in case Hasashom's wife should be nifter. One of the steps that we want that a Kayin Gadol should be married when they're going to do the Avedah 
is because when they're married, you feel a, you a responsibility for you've got a wife, you've got children, you've got a family. You feel that responsibility, so we want to be able to have that. So the Gemara says maybe we need to set up 50 wives in case each one. There could be such a key example that something will happen. The Gemara says no, we don't prepare for something that's not that healthy, you know, for something that's far-fetched. You need to start, not you need to start. But why is it far-fetched in, in, in my case? Because you are setting boundaries, telling the person, please, to my children, speak positive. Mm-hmm. And if they will do something with you, then you will again set up the boundaries. Say, look how difficult it is. I'm speaking to you, and maybe I'm more sensitive, but for our relationship to grow, we need to speak the same language. We need to be able to be on the same sensitive level. So can you please adjust to my sensitivity? So you wouldn't be afraid at all about this person's, in her own not normal mind, that she would... Let's put this way. You're saying, I would not be afraid. One of the things we work on in cognitive therapy is start identifying the numbers. Afraid from one to a ten. Afraid is a very strong word. Would I think about what their responses might be? Yes, I would give it a one or two. The word afraid and fear is a stronger word. And if you use the word afraid, then you're going to notice how you're going to be afraid. So in Mm -hmm. cognitive therapy, we focus on a lot of words that we use semantics and the meaning behind the words will affect us so would i be a little concerned yes will i try to limit a little bit of my interactions with them or tell them you know lately our interactions have been painful and i wonder what we can do to improve our relationship notice the words are i'm wanting to first work it out if there's still that pain and they're still not healthy then you'll need to create just healthier boundaries not disconnect but to create healthier boundaries, like this is we can speak, or please speak to me a little, don't speak to my children. You will set boundaries, and people do not like when we set boundaries, but that's the way it goes. But they won't listen to boundaries. Well, then you need to get now more advice. That means now the Mm -hmm. person is more unhealthy, and now we start going to from someone that's a little bit pained to someone that might have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. means someone that, which healthy person doesn't respect boundaries? If your friend tells you, please don't discuss this with my kids' negativity, would you break that rule? No, but I'm speaking about someone who's not healthy. So, Well, again, not healthy, we don't know what that is. There are different levels of not healthy. There are people that are pain. There are people that even have complete diagnosis. We don't know what their diagnosis is or how pain they are or how not healthy they are. So mm-hmm. I'm taking your question as if you're talking about someone that's not healthy. means they have some issues, but not that they are extremely unhealthy or that they're diagnosable. If they're diagnosable, then that advice already you need to take it to a therapist specifically in your area, specifically that can guide you. Mm-hmm. So do you understand just how you're, you're yeah. asking a simple question about creating boundaries with someone that might not like to set boundaries that we can help out? Once you start going into people that are very unhealthy and that might have diagnosis, now it's a completely different question. Now you'll need more one-on-one advice how to deal with that person, how to create the boundaries. But one thing I can tell you, if you mm-hmm. don't create the boundaries, how much worse do you think it will be to your family when that person could now get to you through your children? Or you're now going to allow yourself to be manipulated because you're afraid that they will use your children or others in a way to get to you, and now... You want to protect your children so you can allow yourself to get pushed over and to get, I don't use the word abused, but to get in pain because of that person. When part of being adult is actually learning how to set boundaries. And how do you think, what do you think will happen in your family when you've got your parents? Imagine you would have, your children would have to say, wow, I saw from my parents how there was a painful person and we set the healthy boundaries even though the person didn't like it. There's a concept in business, which is that you don't throw good money after bad money. It means let's say you made an investment, and let's say it's $10,000, and to me it's a lot of money. And I, Hashem, would not want to lose that $10,000 for any circumstances. But sometimes the person tells me, oh, you want to try to save your investment, invest another $10,000. But it doesn't really appear that this $10,000 that I would invest is really going to work. It's a far-fetched plan. And very likely, I'm going to lose $20,000 now. Would you invest that extra $20,000? No. Would you invest that extra $10,000? No. No. 
So what happens is in business, there's a concept of you don't invest good money. You don't put good money after bad money. And the same is with emotions. If there is a bad relationship going and boundaries are not being respected and the relationship is getting worse and worse, then there's a time that you need to say, okay, now we have to set a boundary. Now we have to set, like, this is what we'll do. This is how my relationship goes. And I would like to interact with you on my level. And now you're setting boundaries, and boundaries is the most normal, healthy step to form. And if that person's not healthy, then you will see how they react, and you might need a little guidance how to remain confident and solid and strong. Rebnissa, what do you say to this? Uh, you know, th- this is, the, I would say that almost the, the, you know, the same with the Bajo about question, you know, about how to, to stay aside, you know, and afraid. Otherwise, we will live our life uh, with according to the other people. And definitely you don't want that your family will, will be affected with a negative uh, person around it. So sometimes you have to put, put, you know, what you call the feet and stop it. And the person can be retired, what you said, you know, just, it could be that it's, it's family member, it could be that uh, in-laws, could be that, uh, you know, whatever person, friends, close friends. But you have to understand you protect your, yourself and protect your family and something that you take seriously about it. You cannot let it go and afraid about what will be and... Uh, you have to say that, and listen. I, this is my territory here. I cannot uh, accept it. I'm sorry. With all the respect, I love you. Uh, keep continue. Find another. T- we said in Hebrew, find another tree to climb on. Yeah. Okay. Does that answer your question? I guess somewhat. <laughs> I'll figure it out. It's your yeah, turn now. You now it's your turn. direct answer what to do, but we can't. There are no simple answers for complicated people. Right. Okay. Thank Excellent. you so much. Thank you. Certainly. Um, and we are going to our next caller with the last digit. I'm sorry, with um, the <laughs> last, <laughs> last, last, what do you call it, with the yes. name R, with the letter R. Yes. And the number to call up for those that would like is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, and we are going to Mrs. R. Hello? Yes, hello. Do you hear me? Loud and clear, Baruch Hashem. Okay, I want to thank you very much for your book. I bought it over last Yantav, and it was a real Oenig Yantav. Thank you. Um, by the way, just to tell you, I found myself in the wind very much. Okay, that is very nice. And what happened was, now I understood why it's so hard for me to be organized. Yes. It's really something I have to work on. That's right, Um, because the wind nature is great, and it has so many ideas, and it's fantastic. But they don't enjoy being so grounded. They don't enjoy doing things daily. And not that they can, and not that they don't. It just takes more energy because they enjoy the bigger pictures, the changing the world, seeing what Kalyusrol needs. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> very much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to thank. Um, last week there was a caller who called in a fourth grade teacher. Yes. Um, and she asked about a student, and this gave me the idea to call in about a different student. I'm a younger elementary teacher. And I have a kid that's, like, really smart, book smart. She's very quiet, and she's, like, not only quiet, but she's, like, disassociated with herself. She's, like, looking around and, like, totally not here. But when I ask her a question, she knows it right away. And she has, like, the best sentences, the best marks, and I felt like, I feel something is wrong with this kid. She she doesn't she doesn't live. She's like a stranger to herself. Could, so and could you just explain that to me? Let me understand just the two opposites. This way it helps me out. Okay. So she's so a smart this girl kid. Seems I mean, book to be smart. smart. She's listening. She does very well on tests. She knows everything. Yeah. But when it now, comes to now, what part is your concern? 
um, when it comes to relationship with, relationships with people or with herself even. She's like very messy. She forgets things. She doesn't have it. And the way she's looking around in class is like as if she's watching herself. Like she's looking around. Okay, everybody does something. Oh, what are they doing? Okay, I also have to do it. And like a lot of these things, and I felt like like she's not she's not here. She's not living. She's like never expresses emotions. Never, never smiles. <laughs> what do you say to this? I'll tell you, I don't know. I really <laughs> don't know. Like sometimes I have an idea. Here I have no idea. I was like thinking, like, am I imagining this? Because, like, I told the mother, like, she she's very not responsible. But you can't do anything if a kid is not responsible. But it's not only responsibility. It's like she's not living. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's very very funny and very sad because you know it's some, some sometimes you you uh, you see kids that basically are dreamer. I would say I I don't know again it's it's it sounds that that if she's not smiling and so serious this is something other I, I, I would say that it's your job now to do a little bit to make her a little bit uh, some uh, funny or make her a little bit happy but I would say that many times that you know the kids in a de- in their world and I I can tell you that. Uh, from my perspective, I, I was I was one of these kids that uh, that I was doing everything and anything around the t- class, and when the teacher was ask me what the, the answer, I would answer immediately what 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 it was, and I was very upset about it because I didn't put a t- so called put attention to their uh, classes, but I had I had I had the ability to listen to to. To remember or to think what what they're talking about the class, mm-hmm. so it's it's very well, depend. And I, I was very big dreamer. Let's put it like this. Right. So that's exactly why I don't know. So what Rabnissa said is on one hand, it could be a very healthy kid that the kid is way ahead of the class, and therefore children need stimulation the entire time. So if the kid gets it right away, and now there isn't enough stimulation, then they will go into their mind. So it could appear like they're not listening, and they're able to tune in right away and get it because they're following along. So again, this is that little bit of the balance where what I'm saying is I just don't know what's happening. So I don't know Mm -hmm. if it makes sense or if something is happening or if something is not happening uh, because sometimes it could be some type of a social skill issue. I, I don't know. It could be extremely normal. It could be something that isn't, and I just don't know. Okay, I hear that. I just wanted to know, like, what, like, what I should think about it. You know, like, if uh, I should. I would discuss it with a principal, someone with a couple of years of experience. Not saying that you don't have it, but like I sometimes will discuss certain cases with other therapists and just saying, how do you deal with it? So I would do case conference and have a supervisor, which I sometimes go to as well. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would say that you can give her some challenges, stuff you know that you see that maybe let let her see if if it's like just as a, like she's only very smart or so. No, no, not yeah. smart, not smart. To see if she catch you know quickly if she if she understand, and then maybe you put her on on a special uh, you know job or uh, things that she can do in the side in the side of the class or during during the class. Can can she help other kids? For example, you know, if she see, you see that she's very smart and knows, maybe give her a job to help a, a weak uh, kid, and it will mm-hmm. give her responsibility and ability to to uh, open the uh, life again. You know, as you say. Wow, that's a great idea. I never thought about that because, like, she sounded like from the outside like such a like. First day in the school, I I looked at her. I was like, yeah, I didn't dream she would be so smart. <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. no. The, this is something. Uh, are we as a people judge other kids, other people, uh, in our eyes? And suddenly you find that uh, the, this the other side is a. Uh, it's totally different. What you thought. Yeah, that's true. Thank you very much. Okay, welcome. You're welcome. Certainly. Okay. So. Okay, good night. Good night. Good night. We'll go to uh, Mrs. 
and right one second yes, uh, yes. excellent uh, mrs n hi you're on with mordechai and her of nissen hello mrs n hello hello yes Mrs. Yes. Yes, hello. Yes. Great, so you're on with Mordechai and Herb Nissen. Okay, I think we are going to put you on hold and we'll come back to you. Okay. And we'll get, yeah, no, I would like you to speak, but you're quiet. Are you, you called yes. up to ask a question? Yes, I have a question. A family member that has what we labeled white coat phobia, afraid of dentists, afraid of blood tests, afraid of doctors, and has a hole in a tooth and is afraid to see a dentist. It's extreme. Yes, yes. How old is this family member, roughly? An adult. An adult. Okay, good. So what would be your question about that? So how do I go about getting rid of this phobia so that he can have his teeth filled? Basic. Why? Okay, so let's understand something. So in the past, he has seen a doctor and fainted in the office, and that yes. uh, that was the end of treatment. Okay, but I have a question. Why are you asking the question and not that adult themselves? Because they're not on the line. <laughs> My husband, no, I, they... I am asking for him. Okay, but you can get him. So if he would ask the question, I would have many answers for him. I don't have the question. I don't have the answer when the wives ask. Oh. Now, could you let, let's process. What do you think is the difference if a husband calls up, or the person that has the problem calls up, or if the spouse calls up? What would you say is the difference? I don't know. All right, let me explain it to you. What we will do is as follows. I don't have an answer how someone should deal with it. One thing we could explain is that white coat is a type of anxiety, and we'll treat it like an anxiety. And they go for therapy for that. Okay. And we recognize that it didn't just start there. means it could happen that they fainted by the doctor, but we're going to discover that they've had other fears, minor fears, or stronger fears, not as strong as this, and therefore generally we have to start working on those other fears as well. So it's not just the one issue. There are generally other underlying core issues that we need to work on and to heal. Does that so make sense? what are the steps to take? Where does one start? Generally, you go to a therapist, which oh. therapists do not have a white coat. Oh, I mean, and not a fear of therapists, a fear of uh, medicine, a fear of that's a blood right. test. That's right, but, but it's a fear. That's an anxiety. The white right. coat so where does one turn? What type of therapist and who's the recommendation? So an ex- oh, I don't do recommendations. Recommendations are usually recommend to relief. They do recommendations, but you'll ask for a therapist that has experience with anxiety. So relief yeah, is a type of organization to call. Relief is the type of organization that calls. Yeah, they do. They do referrals. Okay. Yeah, thank you. So just understand, it's a normal issue. This is a therapist that deals with anxiety. Has you know, it's 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 not complicated to work on. What the awareness that I'm giving you is, because we have a lot of experience working with this, is that it's not, don't assume you're coming, I just want to work on the white coat. Very likely the therapist is going to be getting a history. Therapists are going to be asking your husband about his parents, about the family, about if there are other people in the family that has other anxieties, fears, concerns, if there's some other family members that have anxiety, brothers or sisters or cousins. Was there ever a trauma or a tragedy in the family about medical issues? And those could be the underlying seeds that that then eventually grew. So what you're getting the information and everyone listening is you're understanding how the therapists look at it. Now, I really should preface that this depends what type of therapist because there are those therapists that are just cognitive behavioral therapy. And when I say justice, they're very behavioral. Your fear is the white coats. Here, let's go get a white coat. Let's get your wife wearing the white jacket. Let's go be around it. Let's start imagining. Let's start bringing the tools into the room of doing, for example, a blood pressure machine and other stuff like that. I've had, we've had an experience in our center that was the most extreme that we had where a client had a very similar fear, and we just were starting to do the exposure component of imagining you're going to the doctor and the person's turning white and we're seeing the person turning white. And then he 
almost fainted means he lay down on the floor saying, I'm fainting. And what we did is in order to continue the exposure therapy, and the doctor said that it's not medically, it's in their mind, we even had a Hatzalah member come to our office. We are able to get one of Hatzalah members to volunteer and came to the office and just showing the person, look, when a person faints, there's a certain oxygen level, a certain different process that's supposed to happen, and none of those are happening by you. Why then should I assume it's something more deep? Why can't I just assume that it's, let's say, a one-time giving blood, donating blood, and one time something went a little wrong, and since then it's a fear? Why does it have to be something deeper than a one-time incident that can get cured by, say, cognitive behavior therapy? So there are two levels. So if it's just a one-time fear, then generally exposure therapy would work. It means, as I said, the therapist might bring in some of the white coats, things like that. That's how you do exposure. Exposure right. means the person has to get comfortable right. with it. However, from my experience, most of the time there are underlying issues going on. What would most make, of the time, how would I realize that there may be, what are our well, um, alerts? Very simple. Uh, For an example, I want to talk about your husband, but the things to recognize are, what does the family speak about? They go, oh, Nebuch, do you know who is Nefter? Do you know who's sick now? Or, oh, I was so afraid to do something, but I did it anyhow. Are there a lot of fears? Or, we're traveling. Call me when you get home to make sure you're safe and everything's okay. No, okay, no. Okay, one of the kids are going to the doctor, afraid of doctors. You show the person sick, there's a solar truck passing by. I hope everything is okay. No, no. Not, not, not in constant uh, fear, no. I Just didn't say constant. This. I said this is what they discuss. No, no, this is not the case. Okay. Then these are, again... These are things that we will be discussing with the client. So when you ask, I'll share with you a very cute story that I had recently. I had a relative of mine that I was interacting with someone. And for whatever reason it is, all my warning signs told me this person's got ADHD. All the skills that I know, but when the things are family, you don't, you don't get involved. And next thing I know, I hear they're having difficulties with this kid. So I spoke to the parents. Is there any chance, you know, it might be ADHD? They said, we don't think so, probably not. And I went through all the criteria, the nine criteria for ADHD. And based with that parent, this kid only had one out of the nine. Mm -hmm. Next thing I hear, four months later, the kid is taking medication for ADHD. Oh. So I told her, how could it be? It's only one out of nine. She says, no, but when the therapist spoke to the kid, it was eight out of nine. Uh, how could a parent not know their own child? And the answer is happen. that at home... Things are different, and sometimes we're not saying, I would be asking, for example, your husband, where their fears going around? What would happen about medical if someone had to go to a doctor? Is there ever a fear going to hospitals? One-time fainting could be a cause. It could be. But, but doesn't it go out of bounds? Doesn't we, it escalate? Isn't the phobia, doesn't phobia work that once a person... Um, develops a fear, it only worsens each time they visit a doctor? And that itself can build... The phobia? Can, but what I'm trying to explain to you and to everyone listening is it's possible. So let's give an example. Two people have a car accident, the same type. I'll, let's take it a step further. As I'm sharing with everyone, I've gone back to college for my Ph.D. program. So one of the interesting studies that I read was that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, someone that went through a traumatic situation, yeah. there's a concept of, oh, they, now they're going to have anxiety and stress. And the studies show that it's the exact opposite. Most soldiers that go through PTSD, that go through a traumatic experience, does not develop PTSD. In fact, the opposite. They develop resilience. They find the strength of themselves. I can go further. Do you know what was the top two or three factors that caused for a soldier to get PTSD? Was past history as they had anxiety, past family issues. And if there's a genetic component, those three components, if they had a past diagnosis not dealt with, if there's a family issues of like stress and anxiety, then when they were exposed to a big issue, that is when that trauma or that traumatic experience pulled them down instead of developing resilience. So when we hear that someone fainted, people faint all the time, and they move right on. People get weak, and they move right on. They understand I didn't eat that day, I didn't sleep well, it's no big deal. So the first time they go back to the doctor, they're a little nervous, but then everything went okay, and now they use it the other way, as a resilience, as a strength. 
many times when people have a difficult experience and it pulls them back, it pulls them down, one of the big points that we do is we try to identify why did you not have the strength to get be resilient and why were you pulled out? I'm not saying it's there. Such but a thing curable? What, What's the success rate of, of curing such a, a everything phobia? It depends on the person. I mean, this is normal anxiety. I normal don't like anxiety. saying success rates, but it's very, very workable. Anxiety, okay. depression are from the easiest disorders to heal, Nertzashem. Mm-hmm. And you so say relief very, is very the, workable. the place to reach out to. Yes. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, Robin, Mordechai, this is yeah, what's... That's that's a, 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 a and for me and you about the uh, um yeah. the traumatic. It's um, unbelievable. You know, when thinking about other people that was with my unit, it's yeah. it's unbelievable to think about it. Wow. Doesn't okay. that make sense? Yes. That was one of the things I, I had in the class. They, yeah, you know, thank you. Cause like I had in the class, they were discussing and we're learning about PTSD, and I was assuming every soldier and they were they were even writing. I couldn't believe the number. I, I don't remember now because they're, they're both huge. It was either two or three million U.S. soldiers were sent since 9/11 to Afghanistan, to Iran, Iraq, to that whole, to that whole Afghanistan, to that whole area—not Iran, but to that entire Middle Eastern country areas. Can we imagine? And they're saying, and a lot of them had traumas. And yes, there are numbers, but that's not the those that develop PTSD is not, is not because of the trauma they experienced. Most of them developed resilience, the strength to go through stronger. I'm stronger. I can overcome it. And the three points when people were affected were either they had a diagnosis before that they didn't treat, there are family issues going on, or there's a genetic component where they have a weakness to PTSD for whatever reason. Well, great. And what would you say from your experience? Would you say the same thing? Yeah, look, I didn't. Being... I didn't. Uh, first of all, I didn't uh, research my my soldier that uh, you know suffer from this uh, shocks yeah. or traumatic. Uh, the family, the, but it makes sense, you know. I, I think that for me it was unbelievable uh, uh, trial and give me a lot of power to face again uh, the the battleship. You know, the battle go go backward to do to the to go fight, and this was yeah. really uh, my test, and yeah. I, I I got I got stronger and better from this. Wow! Thank you. I I thank just want to say that. that okay, before yeah. this was very important. Uh, um, one of the caller callers about the teacher, the young teacher, and she said yes. maybe check this girl from earring and uh, eye vision. It could very be that good. it's very good. Uh, we missed it, <laughs> so I just yep. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that and we... I know, you should know, it's a bit of a controversy. Meaning, yes. A controversy means some professionals do agree, some people don't agree. And there's this concept of vision therapy, because some say it's say it's and there are eye doctors that are specializing in vision. And then there's even this famous doctor, eye doctor, that people travel all the way to England to, and they have now an office here in the United States. Um, it's not in New York, but I know, it's, I know people travel like an hour or two away. And I'm a believer in that. I've seen people or kids that had difficulties learning, and they might have ADHD also, because they usually say it's ADHD. But I've seen kids that don't have it, that the vision therapy helped, the eyeglasses helped. Yes. I know someone that has ADHD, that the vision, that the glasses helped also. So they're taking the medication, but they still had a hard time reading because their eye couldn't track it. And now they're able to track reading. So I agree, the audio, audio the visual, like... T- just do the testing. Exactly. I just feel like that information was, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, so thanks, that, that, everyone, for the information. I okay. appreciate all this information because we yes. didn't mention that, and that might help, Mary So we'll go to Mr. R. Okay. Mr. Mr. R. You're on with Reb Nissen and Mordechai. And just before we go, the numbers of people who would like to ask a question is 718 683 5858 718 683 5858. Mr. Al? Yeah, how are you? Good. Um, if there's time, I'll, I'll mention two comments. Um, we'll see, how, I guess, how much time you have. Um, I wanted to mention uh, um, that you, have, you had a conversation, the last conversation of last week. You were talking about how depression and anxiety could be affected 
by um, by habits and by um, our lifestyle. So yeah. um, I thought that way. You remember that you were talking about the last the last caller from last week. To be honest with you, I don't, but that's okay. I usually remember it, but I don't right now. <laughs> but you were talking, I, right. I, it okay. makes sense that, that I would agree with that statement. Okay. So basically, um, I saw a short, a short talk by a psychologist by the name of Stephen Lardy, and he, he said a very interesting thing that there was an anthropologist, anthropologist by the name of Edward Schieffel, and he went to live by these like backwards people that called the Kaluli, and he... He investigated. He did research on about 2,000 of these people, uh, where they have, you know, and basically they don't have easy lives. There's a lot of violent death. There's the infant mortality rate is very high, and there's a lot of they do have a lot of problems in their civilization. Um, but he found they they did a tremendous amount of research, like I mentioned, and they found one marginal case of depression in these people, which I found very interesting. Wow, and what's his point? What's his conclusion? Well, he's basically his talk is called it's a short talk, and it's called the um, depression, the disease of civilization, and he's basically basically trying to point out how our lifestyle habits and and the way you know we live affect our our you know our mind, and and that's why our our you know our civilization has, our society has so much depression and anxiety, he, he points yes. out that these people do grieve. They, when they have a lot of, like, violent death and all this type of stuff, they do grieve. It's not like they don't have any feelings. They grieve, but they don't have anything. Um, you know, in his research, he did not find anybody who got shut down or got held besides this one marginal case. He didn't find anybody who got shut down from um, depression or anxiety or yeah. couldn't live, you know. So, so I found that to be very interesting. there is a societal component to that. There's also a biological component to that. You know, there, there's so much to it. Yes, there's definitely a society component to it. Yeah, I found that to be very interesting. One more point I just wanted to mention about your book is that I found something very interesting. You talk about the water nature, and um, one thing I found so interesting about myself is in Shiva, a lot of times, like, I'm a very capable person. I know how to do stuff for Hashem. I'm talented. But whenever it came to stronger nature type of person, I would always like kind of like feel get this feeling of like it's being done. But like, what's the point? Like, why do I have to push myself? Like, Baruch Hashem, it's getting done. The thing's getting done. I could talk and do it. But, you know, it's getting done. And I when I saw the part of the water nature, how the water nature likes to go to the void, to the to the area that's not getting done. It was very interesting to me because I saw that like, I see by myself that I like to go to areas where where things aren't being done. You know, if somebody's doing it, I feel like, okay, it's getting done, so what's the point? Like, but um, if it's not being done, then there's a temptation to do it. Is that yeah. what you were, you were trying to bring that out in the book, right? About the water nature that it likes to go to the void? Am I correct about that? Yes, yes, that makes sense. I'm also water nature, and I can relate to that very, very much so. Yeah, one thing, one, I guess one question I had about that is like, let's say, so I mentioned, I'm sure you probably, I mean, if you remember me, I, I do woodworking, right? So with yeah. with boys, so I, I kind of have this feeling like, let's say somebody else would start up and do woodworking with boys. I get up, my almost my feeling is, okay, well, it's getting done. I'll, I'll, I'll look for something else to do, you know? But how does the war nature, like, they like to go to the void, say, okay, I'm doing this, somebody else is doing it, um, and I, I could do it. I, 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 and I could do it just like just the same as somebody else is doing it. How do how do we how do the women need to bring that out in themselves? Because they tend to like to go to the area where where nobody else is doing something. Yeah. What would you say is the concept to do? Well, I guess is to have the self confidence to believe that you know, if the Hashem gave you the kaiyus to do it, um, then then obviously. Um, Use your talents and and let's say for example I would start a hotline just as yours, but you would obviously feel that you're doing it your way, I'm doing it my way, and 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 you're, you're and you're you're doing a great uh, serving the job that needs to be served, you know that you're affecting the world in your way with that, that talent that Shem gave you. That's right. And so what you're saying is that your nature basically finds the the void. But once you see there's a void, you're going to put yourself into it. 
Right, but let's say what, what I'm bringing out is let's say somebody else starts doing that thing that that's the void, right? So, you know, so then you feel like, oh well, it's getting done. So like, you know, what's the point? You know, like you know. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah, I guess that's the idea to have the self confidence to know you can affect people in your own way, your own special way, the way Hashem with the gift Hashem gave that you. That is exactly correct. I actually just wanted to ask you, um, as you know, I just mentioned I'm doing the woodworking, and sometimes I get like cases of of kids who um, who are like, you know who who could use a little chizuk, like, whatever. Most of the boys I work with are Baruch Hashem. Just regular, run the mill, Baruch Hashem, Yeshiva kid. But once in a while, I'll get a, a case where the boy could use a little extra help. And I'm wondering, is there any like degree or anything that I could look into taking that would would um, where I could go like side by side together with the woodworking, kind of re- use the woodworking and also um, re- be able to help people on a more in a more um, in a more effective way. So I I personally don't know, but I know that there's, in other words, what I hear you ask is as follows. You're not, either you're not able to now, or you're not looking to get now a licensed degree. But are there some certifications that you can take that can help you out? Well, I, I would consider a licensed degree. I just didn't, never found, like, I, I thought about, like, even in terms of a um, social worker, I've, I've thought about it over the years. But my challenge is that I, 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 would, I would find it hard, I think, I, I never tried it. But I would imagine I would find it hard for myself to sit, you know, in a room with somebody for hours, like with different people for hours. I, I think I would t- tend to get bored. Like I don't see myself sitting for hours and, and hours, you know, in a room helping people in that way. I could, I see myself needing to, you know, from my personality, my nature, I see myself needing to be doing something or, you know, okay, um, but there are many different types of therapy. I don't want to try to convince you to do it. I just want to create the awareness that there are types of therapy called psychodrama, where you're not actually sitting, where you're acting it out. So you're standing there, the person's acting there, what do you see? And you're, it's a very interactive behavioral movement. There are those that can be doing, um, um, first of all, so besides for emotional therapy, there's even, for an example, just saying with kids, there's a type of systems that they have called sand tray therapy, which you're sitting and you're actually touching sand, you're using objects. There can be music therapy. I know a therapist that's very good. I just don't like saying people's names. But this guy does music therapy, sort of drums with kids. So kids have a very hard time expressing what they're feeling or teenagers. So he plays drums. And he tells them this, I don't know the different names, like this symbol or, or one of the, like the big ones is when you're angry, bang that. When you're feeling frustrated, do that. When you're sad, bang this one. And now they start doing, okay, so now let's make a song. Like what happened today? And this, now bang it harder. And they're using music therapy as a way of, of releasing of what they're doing. So there's a lots of creativity that, mm-hmm. that there is in the field. I think that woodworking, like yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm seeing that woodworking so, is very good therapy. Right, it's funny because exactly. I, it's, I find it's I unbelievable. Work. I know that when, uh, for example, when I learn uh, art and sculpture, you know, wood carving, you take the hammer and the chisel and you take a, a you know, log and you start working out. You take and create whatever you want. You can do a, a lot of stuff, you know, you can create. And I would say that you are what you call it, explorer, uh, yeah. cre- cre- uh, explorer character, you know. I would say that uh, yeah. this is a, a, a very, a very chashuv uh, character, Thank and you. I would say that uh, without explorer, we would be stay, staying here in the same location. That's right. Ships would not be made out of iron, floating, and planes would not be flying, because we all think only if you're very light can you fly. So understand that the ability to think, the ability to explore is great. And who knows what type of therapy you will come up with if you like that and if you have that. So I don't want to encourage you to do the field because I know a lot of people are struggling right now to make it in the field of therapy. But on the other hand, if you have a talent, think about other ways you can do it. And therefore, part of what I would ask you is what would be, let's say, a certificate that you can get some knowledge and some type of a, a certificate. So it's not a full licensing, but you might be able to work with some people, have some knowledge what to do. And again, as long as you clarify that you're not a social worker, that can help you out a lot and help right. the kids. And if you see you're being more successful and then you want to go for your full degree, you can do that. Right. I could say times, for example, I, I agree or listen 100% that 
I do see it's very therapeutic, and I see like many. I used to be a, a, a special already, and I do notice many many of the um, shadows that sometimes come along with that. With when I have those type of boys in the woodworking, so they'll like say how therapeutic it is and how amazing the boy is doing in the woodworking. But uh, but from right. I'm, I'm asking more like from uh, like to help the child and also from a Parnassa perspective, um, like if people would feel like you know that you know that it's it's uh it's licensed or it's this or it's that it has a name to it people i think it will be more attract like i do a lot of groups but in, ter- in terms of having one-on-one how to you know to attract people to to f- feel it that, that's benefiting the, per- the child on many different levels okay uh, thank great you very much. thank you and good night thank you and we'll go to mr k and he's waiting patiently okay yes Mr. K, welcome. Hello. Hello, good afternoon. Uh, good evening, sorry. I'm calling from England. Yeah, so it's almost Hello? good morning for you, or it is good morning for you. No, yeah, okay. Thank you very much. I would just like to tell you that the thing what made me pick up the phone and gave me the courage to call you up was because I have identified myself as a fire nature through your books, so this is what gave me the courage to pick the phone up. Nice. Um, welcome fire. So we've had wind today, a couple of winds, and welcome fire. And yes. water, yes. Oh, we're yes, so I can ask you a question. Go right ahead. Yes. Uh, my grandfather passed away six months ago. Uh, on a very Nemes. sudden... Uh, what? Suddenly, yes. Yes, yeah, and he passed away suddenly and uh, at a very young age. And I got that phone call uh, in the morning. Okay, yeah, he passed away. And I still haven't overcome that shock and that trauma for the last six months. And I feel like I'm mourning uh, instead of my father. I'm taking over all his feelings. What he should have been having now, I'm like mourning with him the whole year. Like, uh, c- can you tell me in a way how I can uh, lead my life on a healthy way and not disconnect? Let's take one step at a time. Let's first go, before we go to how to heal, can we first understand that you're normal and you're healthy? Which means, let me make an assumption. Were you very close to this grandfather? Yes. And the second reason what I'll tell you, that for a lot of years he was uh, single, unfortunately. And this is yeah. what gave me the image, oh, like, he's my grandfather. He was a smart man and a big Talmud Chochem, but this was his Nesoyan. So, yeah. you see, I have this connection, like, oh, he never, and this is the way uh, he ended his life. So, Yeah, so let's understand that the more we have an emotional connection to someone, the more we will feel connected for their strengths and for their negative and for the pain. So can mm-hmm. you realize that there's a year of shiva that goes on that, let's say, children go through, but grandchildren also mm-hmm. go through that? So I would ask you, what is something you can do to allow yourself to go through the shiva process or the year process? Which means maybe you'll take something upon yourself to do a little nishmosoy. So just like a boy would daven for the yamit three times mm-hmm. a day, learn, learn mishnayas, what girls do, I've spoken to many girls when they lost a parent and they go, they wish they could do something, and what they take upon themselves is saying a little Tehillim. They take upon themselves to light candles a little earlier. Uh, some even light a lechtel every night, a candle every night, little mm-hmm. Nishma's their parent. So what I would ask yeah. you, what can you take upon yourself to go through the process that when you do it, you will do it feeling you're doing something for your grandfather's neshama, and also something that you feel you're doing something, you're still connecting to him, you're helping him. That's, it's, it's a great feeling when we feel that we help. I remember when I finished davening after the year for my father when it was coming to the 11th month, like just after the 11th month, I was feeling, that's it? Now I don't do anything? And then the feeling was, of course I could still do it, I just don't do it as a chiv. And there's a halacha mm-hmm. brings down that every time you daven for the Amid and you say, Kaddish is a schus for the neshama, so if there isn't about tefillah, I try to, you know, I go over and I, I still think of it that I'm still doing something for his neshama. I started this whole yes. phone line as a schus for neshama. So my question to you is, what can you do 
to understand that just because you're not that biological son, but you are a grandson, you still will have those feelings just generally less intense than children. I use the word generally. I can learn Mishnah, as, uh, as you mentioned, but my question yeah. is, will that help me heal emotionally? Yes. Like I, I won't have sure. this shocking image in my face. Partially, because if you're having the image of him, he's stuck and he finished with nothing, because he didn't have your, you know, a wife for many years, if that's the image, mm-hmm. what would happen when you start learning Mishnayis every day and you see in Shemayim your learning is helping his neshama? How, what would be your image mm-hmm. then? When you're learning and now he's closer, and every every ois that you're learning, it takes his neshama's getting closer to the Rabbi Nishlam. Every mitzvah that you do, it's a schos. Mm-hmm. So, but doing uh, Mishnayis will help heal emotionally. Speaking about him a lot. There are some people that you'll mm-hmm. notice that their parents were nifta and they still talk about them 20 and 30 years later. Now, I'm not talking about yes. Rabbanim, where, where it's a schuss for everyone. I'm just talking about different people because it helps them still process. And sometimes they didn't go to the next level where they don't have to speak about them anymore. But some people mm-hmm. are. But talking about the Talking about the parents or the grandparents, sharing a story about them is part of the grieving process. You talk about it. And some people need more than a year. I know I needed about three, four years. And then it passed. Mm-hmm. Then it moved on. So you say it's normal and it's healthy and you should just yes. do And this will help you heal emotionally. That's right. Yes, please, Ravnissa. What do you uh, say? I know by us, by Vesfadi, we, we uh, in, a, in certain cases, you know, you ask, you can, you can do Kaddish. Kaddish is, you ask your father if you allow, or your parents, if they allow you to do Kaddish, or they ask the rabbi, the local rabbi, if you allowed. And Kaddish, when you say Kaddish, imagine yourself, your grandfather, that it's an event, and every time, every word that you're basically raising up and, and helping, uh, aim, and you see it in, in the best of the light, you know, you see it in a, in a different light that you saw in the last time, you know. And you see that everything that you're doing here is basically raising his neshama up and up. You know, I know, mm-hmm. I know that many people doing. Uh, I, by by us this Friday, I know that people. Basically, the they doing it. You can you have to ask the parents permission to say kaddish, and it's a big ma'ala to to you. And every time that they say the kaddish, think about about the the words, what is meaning, and. And this will give you, I think, again, if I'm talking from my uh, side, it gives you a lot, a lot of uh, kind of coming down that your grandfather is in a good location and a good place. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay, I really appreciate it. Yes, so that's why I want you to know that it's that you're, what you're feeling is normal. Grandchildren also feel very, very close and feel that loss. And by us getting and involved to feel like and this. doing stuff makes a big change for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so thank you very much again, and I wish you a lot of luck in your work. I mean, I'll even ask if you can call us up next week if it's possible for you to do that. I'd yes. like to hear what it's going, or maybe even in two weeks. And if that's working a little, we can try that. If we need a little more, mm-hmm. then there are other suggestions I could make it. Let's just go ahead and see what's happening and try to uh, yeah okay so yeah. thank you very much and have a wonderful evening okay certainly uh, Mordechai, before we yeah. close the the show uh, I, I would like the, the the guy from the bachur that from the yeshiva is really uh asking uh you know to give some some more more information to this case i don't know he asked about if leaving the yeshiva if you can I saw that message. So going back to that first message of this Bacher saying, yes. where there's another Bacher that's very tough on him and seems like it appears to be bullying him, and that's what we discussed, that we need to learn how to say, set the boundaries. And the second message this person followed up was, they want the other Bacher, that bully, to leave the yeshiva. And I feel that this person is missing what we're saying. Exactly. We are discussing not about changing other people. We're discussing changing ourselves. So what I feel is this person is desperate for help, and that's not what this radio program is for. Not that we don't want to give help, but this is an awareness-based. 
So the awareness that I would like this Bacha to realize is that they need to learn to get stronger. And if they're involved in a very uncomfortable situation, then it's for them to change yeshivas and for them to, ch- to, to see what they can do. But I don't even believe in changing right away. means if this Bacher didn't open up yet to the Rebbe, they didn't even go through the process, didn't open up to his parents on what he's feeling, you don't change. Changing, disconnecting, this is such an unhealthy process. You don't run away. You learn to face it. Yeah, that's what I wanted to to, to tell the guy. Also, you don't Go run ahead, away. Minister, what do you want to say? No, yeah, sure, that, that's exactly what I want. Thing. Don't run away, and don't try to hide yeah. behind somebody else. You know, just you have that's to face right. it. You have to face it. Yeah. You, you can, and I, and I said again, consult with the with the rabbi, with the magichu, talk with them. It's not lashonara. It's not something that just talk about it. Okay, and one one text that we have today, if you want, that can BBT uh, can uh, yield uh, completely. Um, so I don't like saying it's like saying can a strep throat be healed completely. The answer is almost always, but you never know. So borderline is a more is a harder and a heavier diagnosis, and unfortunately. So many times they could be, but unfortunately, sometimes they can't. You know, but I see that it's already when this this uh, person that texts us is already in a process of healing because he, he himself just you know wrote it, and I said that is is a very very good way to to see uh, ill ill yourself. Mm-hmm. You agree with me? It's That's really right. in the minute that I am diagnosing the with the, the uh, it, all it, I will say is there's therapy for that. Yeah. Okay. Mordechai. Yes. We are already past the time and. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And we will finish it now. Good night and all the best and all the listeners. Thank you very much for listening to us. Excellent. Yes. Hatzlocha and be well. Amen.